At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. I'm here with my good buddy, N7, the legend, the legendary N7. Welcome back, dude. How's it going? I'm well. Um, so I've got I've got some you know exciting news in my personal life um, that I will be I will be moving soon Man, again. Didn't you just move? You like I you just moved. Yeah, yeah. It was about a, it was about a year and a half or no a year and some change ago. Yeah. Uh, but I will be moving again to Seattle. Congratulations! Uh, that is that is for a new job. Uh, but yeah. I'll be willing to talk about more more details about it a little bit later, but yeah, it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, congrats, congrats. That's big news. That's awesome. Um, hopefully, we're able to you know keep up the uh, the shows, but you know if we need to adjust some of the scheduling, we'll let people know. Um, but this week, this week we, we teased it last week. We're talking about Edie, Edie's origins, the origins of the Edie. Yeah, yeah. We've we've already you know kind of talked about uh, a lot already in this second year, you know, talking about the people that, uh, we see uh, at the first parts of the game, like Anderson and, and Udina, but then more recently we took a character dive into Joker and then the Normandy itself. Uh, so I find it only fitting that now we're going to talk about, uh, the ghost in the machine, uh, Edie. So, yeah. and of course, Edie does stand for enhanced defense intelligence. Okay. So, what was when when you first met Edie mm-hmm. in Mass Effect Two, mm-hmm. uh, when Edie was you know just a glowing orb, right? Right. What were your right. first impressions of Edie? You know, I don't think I thought too much about Edie. I think I, I was such such a focus on the other characters. Um, Edie seemed like a secondary thing that didn't. I had no anticipation of where Edie's story was going. Let's say that I kind of took Edie for granted. I'm sorry, Edie. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's 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 pretty easy, I think, to dismiss Edie as a background support kind of narrative tool mm-hmm. uh, at first because you don't really see it until three. Uh, and I think Edie was an interesting addition to Mass Effect, even just as that AI on the ship thing, uh, because now you have this asset that's so familiar to so many other series like the AI on the ship, right? They're right. so, they're so common, you know, having the ship AI or uh, Android or someone that's kind of like running the day-to-day operations of the ship. I mean, that goes uh, all the way back to Star Trek having a, exactly like a, and it's not a high intelligence in the early Star Treks. It's not like it's a, it's a person, but it's intelligent enough to understand speech and to respond to questions and, and do those kinds of things. I, I think that you could probably look, look back to Star Trek as being kind of a, I don't know, an origin for the concept. And then something like Edie, someone like Edie from Mass Effect being kind of a fulfillment of that concept. Oh yeah, definitely. And then of course she's voiced by Trisha Helfer who mm-hmm. people might recognize from Battlestar Galactica. She was also an AI in that series. Yeah, I mean, she was a she was a Cylon. So, yeah. 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 Yep. She was like a biological Cylon, but still a Cylon. Yeah. So, and, you know, speaking of which, um, according to the art of Mass Effect book, 
Edie was modeled after an even older sci-fi character, way older than Star Trek. Mm -hmm. A lot of people might not recognize this name. Some people might if they're diehard sci-fi fans, but Edie was modeled after Maria in Metropolis. So we did an episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast where we talked about Metropolis, the movie from like 1928, something like this. Yeah, I about remember. Then. Yeah, it was about that. I don't remember exactly the date. This is a black and white movie, and it predicted a lot, or I guess you could say a lot of sci-fi pulled ideas from the movie later on. Um, I mean, it's definitely the 1920s. Like, there's definitely a lot of 1920s going on, but there are some concepts in there that are foundational for sci-fi. So this concept of like a, a, an AI is. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like the grandmother of a lot of modern sci-fi. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's a, a cyborg woman who um, is built as a machine, but then takes on the appearance of a person, and you can't tell that it's not a person. It's like central to the the concept of the movie. Right, and and of course, Edie's model doesn't really come in until Mass Effect Three, when Edie obtains a robotic body. Uh, and, but first, we're going to get into how Edie enters the game in Mass Effect Two. Right. So okay. So this is a talking orb model only yeah. episode yeah <laughs> right. basically th- this this episode is going to focus on when Edie's an orb um <laughs> but she's an omnipresent orb at that on the normandy um because she kind of is the normandy sr2 with her brain being located in the ai core uh at least at first you know and now technically she's powered by quantum computing which I found to be interesting, but it's it's specifically called like a blue box quantum AI, which I tried to do my own digging about what exactly a blue box quantum AI is. And I don't, I couldn't find very much. So I feel like it might be one of those, you know, titles that the writers just make up and they're like, it's sci-fi. It's a thing. Yeah. But quantum computing is definitely a real thing. And it's something oh, yeah. that we're uh, like every year they're making strides on, which is crazy. This idea of simply put, Computers based on silicon and electrons and that kind of technology are limited because you can only make the parts to a certain size and they they can no longer get small enough. But if you can make quantum computers based on quantum mechanical movements, then the scale gets so much smaller than that of an electron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and so it makes sense how you could attain an actual AI that way. Yeah, because Um, of the number of operations that would need to be done in order for something to be complex enough to become self-aware. Yeah. And definitely. Um, and you know, while she gets a title role in mass effect two, she actually appears in the game much before we ever hear the name Edie. Although she's not quite at the quantum computing level yet, I think. Oh, so, okay. So when was this? Did, did we, do we know that we meet her? Is it one of those things where if you go back and you play three, you go, Oh, yeah. This yeah. You would have to, you would have to replay it to, to, to know you're meeting her when you meet her. Uh-huh. Um, and she actually enters the mass effect universe in mass effect one, uh, through a side mission on the moon and by a different name kind of. Okay. So you do you remember the mission in mass effect one where Shepard has to fight off a rogue VI on the Alliance's Luna base? Vaguely, vaguely. This I haven't gone and redone all the side missions over and over again, like 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 many of you guys have. <laughs> it is an it is it is an easy to miss side mission, I think. Yeah. Um, but it basically it takes Shepard to the moon. Hackett hits up Shepard with another honeydew list item, saying, "Shepard, there's this batshit VI that's going haywire and attacking personnel at the base. I need you to go in and disable it. Hack it out." <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's that's my hacking impression. Love you, buddy. Uh, and you know, it sounds pretty run of the mill, right? Like you know, okay, military VI is going crazy. You know, hacking, uh, you know, turrets that are shooting people, and just go in there and, and take it out. And aside from how fucking cool it is that we get to go to the moon, uh-huh. right? It, it's pretty cool um, because it has this really awesome lore explanation later. Um, but this mission also rewards the player with a specialization within their class. So it has tangible gameplay benefits too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you unlock some pretty great buffs for other powers that you have and some awesome passive abilities. But throughout this mission though, this damn VI uh, is, it just keeps proving to be a rather annoying foe. 
uh, fighting back against what would be its destruction. It, it, you know, you're, you're going through this like subterranean base that are in mass effect one, more or less copy and pasted, you know, the subterranean bases yeah, yeah. and in each doorway, like after you disable one of the mainframes, the VI keeps booting up these shields that you have to like shoot through. And it's just kind of annoying. Yeah. Self-preservation. What? Yeah, I know right. it's, it's like, but that's the thing. What if VI have self-preservation, right? I mean, assuming if something's self-aware, I think, isn't that one of the requirements for like determining self-awareness is that like self-preservation would be inherent to it or something like that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely one of the hallmarks of sentience. And uh, yeah. as it pertains to Edie, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but there, it even gets to the point where you get to one mainframe room and you're destroying the mainframes and then the VI starts pumping noxious gas into the room. Okay. Yeah. I feel like so, I remember this part. Yeah. Very clearly fighting back. Um, and while we find out much later in the series that that was Edie in prototype form, uh, Edie was basically born from that VI and then combined with Reaper tech that was preserved from the remains of sovereign. And it creates this all knowing Normandy electronic warfare suite. Sweet. So our good buddy Edie tried to murder us and is also Reaper Tech. So. <laughs> Tee hee. Isn't that funny? <laughs> that's, that's so kind of, <laughs> that makes me a little bit more cautious about uh, trusting her. Um, so, okay. So how much of you do, how much of this do you think was like planned ahead of time? Were they like, hey, we're going to put this side quest in and then we can use it as a launching pad for some sort of AI thing that we build out later that eventually becomes the Normandy? Or do you think this was more of like a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if... Normandy was like had some personality and oh we have this story thing we did why don't we just pull from that yeah I think maybe both um the huge fan of Bioware in me says that they planned it from the get-go uh but and they've gone that route in the past with some of Anderson's stories in the novels because if you remember the first Anderson novel Mass Effect Revelations that came out before the game did right and it was probably right. written alongside the same time um but knowing how much narrative direction they changed from mass effect one to three and that's when it's explained later in mass effect three and with drew Karpishin, who is kind of the lore father of the series he left the project to work on star wars the old Repu old republic uh before the trilogy was over i i don't know you know maybe it was a simple re restocking of what they had already done maybe it was some people in the development team looking at the previous games and thinking ah right here this is a good callback we can make a callback here mm -hmm. um and people will love that um so maybe it was both i really i really want it to be planned from the start but i just i don't know if it is yeah okay so okay so what we have here is a formerly rogue vi that wrecks havoc on the moon. Like, um, this is very close to Earth, right? The freaking moon. Mm -hmm. Then is developed with Reaper Tech and then put onto maybe the most expensive starship in the galaxy. And they're all just like, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like right. that, genius idea. Right, brilliant. Uh, what could go wrong, you know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but no, and it's and it's. I guess you could add the other thing is that it is being commanded by the most important specter to ever been a specter, right? Like, right. And all of the fate of everybody hinges on this one crew and what they're able to accomplish. And I see where you're going with that. And <laughs> you know, and let, let's remember, Cerberus is also the entity that oversaw Ed's creation. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, and, okay. Add service and the Cerberus into the mix. Yeah. This is turning we, into a really good stew. <laughs> we also know how much that Cerberus likes to control. They like to control things, and so they did institute locks on Ed's behavior to keep her from turning rogue, like that VI did on the moon, and becoming an unshackled AI. So. Unshackled AI, basically meaning uh, completely self-aware, allowed to uh, change their own programming, make additions and upgrades to themselves. Determine that the crew is the most likely threat to them and so kill everybody on board. Right. I can't let you do that, Dave. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so she can't actually make all the decisions on the ship when we meet her in Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's kind of why Joker is still hired and still around. Like technically and com and comedic uh, timing and that, yeah. uh, of course. Right. Um, but you know, in, in the lore explanation, 
he has to be the one to fly it because she's not allowed. It's not that she couldn't, right. she could. Right. And in fact, she does at that points, uh, but she's just not allowed. And there's a ton of things that she's not allowed to do because Cerberus has placed these blocks on her. In fact, every time that you're talking to Edie in Mass Effect 2 and you ask her a question, some of that information is partitioned off and not, not allowed to be given to Shepard because mm. Cerberus doesn't want Shepard to know. And you'll know if you've run into one of those things because the blue portion of Edie's like mouth uh-huh. will glow red. <laughs> like, stop. <laughs> Can't go any yeah. further. Yeah. Yeah. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she does, she does monitor the systems on the ship even so. And she advises of potential improvements to efficiency or warning the crew of metaphorical uh, or literal fires happening. Uh-huh. So, so since organics can't watch everything else uh, at once, you know, it's pretty useful. And she's also hooked up to the squad suits though. Right. Seeing what I, I believe if there's, you know, cameras on the suits, you know, hardware that she's getting all those feeds to big and sister. She's, yeah, she's <laughs> monitoring biometrics mm-hmm. and GPS feedback and advising them of things like where to go and how to accomplish objectives and and fourth wall breaking. That's very convenient, you know, for oh, the player. Of course. I mean, obviously, this is like from the meta perspective, this is a, a very gameplay oriented decision and uh, narrative or oriented decision, like how to string things together and make sure information is pass from one place to another easily like why don't we have an ai that's just aware of everything that's going on all the time that kind of solves it right um but and lore lore wise i i can see the benefit of this but it still sounds really dangerous at the same time yeah yeah and i think i think cerberus felt like okay we're playing with fire here but we're arrogant enough to think that we can control everything so right we haven't seen uh rich people make decisions like that before Never. No, rich people are famously not arrogant, not arrogant, not risk takers. Yeah, never. Okay. All hail rich people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, like you said, like lore wise, Edie is essentially at that point, like Q from uh, from MI6, you know? Yeah. Okay. And uh, but better, better than Q, because Edie is more intelligent and can can be everywhere and analyze, you know, like like the Zeta bytes of information within seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, Edie does serve as that narrative propelling device, giving crucial lore context on multiple topics like Cerberus itself to the player, uh, things that the player wouldn't otherwise know. Right. Uh, but and, and her AI capabilities allowed the writers a lot of room to to use her to do everything from serve as that encyclopedia to activate groundside defenses while Shepard's away, you know, on a mission or analyzing the obtained collector DNA and letting Shepard know, hey, I just compared this with every known sample of Prothean DNA and they're like 98% similar. It took me like 0.0277 seconds. It's like a Google search. That's like this search results returned to you in 0.00372 seconds. Exactly. It's a right. Google search that's listening to you and automatically searching when you have a question. Yeah. Uh, it's basically Alexa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is pretty, it is pretty uh, intricate, you know, um, but Edie is one of those characters who is used as a method of teaching the player more about the universe. And there's several like that, you know, throughout, there's so many like that throughout fiction. And sometimes if it's poorly written fiction, I find it's very easy to identify like yeah. those lines and those characters. Right. But this wasn't one of those cases to me. I think that the reason Edie works is because it's a natural assumption that you would have intelligent uh, computers, whether it's self-aware AI or not, but you would have intelligent highly highly sophisticated very fast processing large databases of all the knowledge that could possibly download at any point or connect to and and get you know very quickly like that technology in this future setting when you have so many other advantageous technologies seems like i mean there's no question right like this is something that would exist yeah, definitely. It's it's not out of the ordinary. It doesn't feel plopped down there out of a different series or something. Right. Um, yeah, it doesn't even feel like space magic. 
Like sometimes, no. yeah, like what we talked about with the name of the blue box, right? Sometimes it's just space magic words. It's like science words that sound sciencey, but it's really just space magic. Um, Schematics, right? Blueprints, right? This no, this like actually having a kind of self-aware but yet all-knowing, very fast intelligence seems like where things. I mean, if you were to do this successfully and create the boundaries around that personality, this seems like what you might get. Yes, but it's twofold. So it's not just like a tool to help them mm -hmm. because Cerberus also wanted to keep eyes and ears on their investment uh, and specifically right. the elusive man's right. investment. Just like Alexa. It's just like Alexa. And if <laughs> just... you're listening at home right now and wondering whether Alexa could turn into Edie someday, you may be warranted in that. Uh -huh. You know, um, Edie does in fact listen and monitor all parts of the ship all the time and was meant to serve as the elusive man's eyes and ears. And right. we know this in a few ways, one of which is pretty awkward. <laughs> Edie asks about developing a relationship with Joker in Mass Effect 3. And it's when you're on shore leave at the Citadel uh -huh. and she starts the conversation with Shepard. You've had sex before. <laughs> like it's like not as a question, but as a statement, like I know because I've seen it. Exactly. <laughs> and like I remember thinking like the first time, like, wait a second, how do you. Oh, that's how you know that. Yeah. You know everything. You've been watching me bone for three games now. No, <laughs> yeah. two games now. Right. Yeah. Or anything else awkwardly you're doing by yourself, quote unquote, by yourself. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. You know, yeah, you can't... know, every time that you got the runs, like. You think the elusive man? Would, You've had would diarrhea seven times this year, Shepard. <laughs> I've been monitoring your biometrics. You <laughs> like, need more fiber today. Right. Everything. How likely do you think it is that the elusive man would be one of those people who puts cameras in the bathroom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. He wants to yeah. control everything. D yes. Maybe everything. not for personal enjoyment of like, you know, like the creeper who likes to see somebody go to use the restroom, but just for the knowledge Absolutely. And to manipulate people. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. you clearly have hemorrhoid problems, so I'm going to use that against you. <laughs> Shepard spent a lot of time on the toilet lately. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so now that and, we've been know, saying these things in front of my Alexa, I'm going to start getting advertisements for hemorrhoid cream. And my phone is within earshot, yeah. so I yeah. will. My phone, too. Yes. All of that. Yeah. All of that stuff is true, by the way. Like yeah. I've worked in marketing. It's true. Like. It's, it's 100%. Yeah. If, if you, I tested this before. Uh -huh. um, I tested this when I was like, I kept getting these Hulu ads for things that didn't make sense. And then I remembered, oh my God, I was just talking about that last week. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I tested it and I intentionally started talking about Indian food a lot. Uh -huh. And then guess what? I got Indian food ads. Yeah. And without like, ever doing a Google you. search, without ever like engaging on your PC or your phone in typing those words in. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly. I'm like, I caught you, you motherfucker. Right. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 Cloudy Atlas here in chat says, I mean, Edie also talks about measuring heat signatures of erogenous zones. So yeah, Edie sees everything. Yeah, because I mean, all you have to do is have a, a camera with like a heat sensor on it with like because you can tell. Right. Visually. I'm imagining Edie making the predator noises like the clicks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, now that we've thoroughly creeped everyone out, um, maybe Alexa is reporting to our real life elusive man. We're on to you, Wait, Mr. Bookseller. Is this why Bezos wants to go into space? <laughs> he's a huge fan of Mass Effect and he's just cosplaying the elusive man. He's sitting in his uncomfortable chair in the evenings going, what's the next step I can take to become the elusive man? <laughs> That's amazing. His the elusive man's real life origin story is a guy who is selling books from his apartment. And now look at him. And now look at him. He's uh, going to save a slash nominate the galaxy. All right. Well, um, so but we don't. But well, here, let me restart. Edie isn't always shackled, right? She gains more yeah. capabilities as the series goes on. But I think we probably need to wait until after the mid break. Talk more yeah, about that's that? a, that's a uh, pretty deep topic and we can talk about that more when we come back also i did mess up my words <laughs> yeah all right we'll be right back after this i am so excited about our sponsor this week marvel strike force i freaking love 
Marvel comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike, where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and this is where we get to thank our amazing patrons. And um, let's see, dude, I don't think we thanked uh, Cable X Ascani Clan. That's quite the name, Cable. Thank you for signing up with us on the Patreon. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, and a big th- shout out to all 61 of our patrons. We're at 61. Do you think, I mean, we're, we've already, we've already broke a boundary here. Sam, do you think we could get eight more patrons and get to 69 by next, should we, next week? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Should we, should we like reserve like a special something for patron number 69? Maybe, maybe. But then maybe nobody else will sign up until it gets to 68 and then everybody will rush to hit 69. But, um. I don't know. Maybe we'll just call whoever becomes patron 69, patron 69. Yeah, patron number 69. Yeah, there you go. There you go. (laughs) Uh, But big, big thanks to everybody. Also, all of our Shepherd tier patrons, Kolkashins, Captain Shanko, Kira, Lieutenant Ticino, Pipe Man, and Big Bills 63. Thank you so much to all of you guys. You guys are amazing. We couldn't do this without you. We've we've talked about that before. And uh, let's see. I don't think we have any new reviews this week. I think we covered everything last time. We do have a couple of new ones, do but we? I was going to save those for the next episode. Yeah, usually we do the next episode. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. I feel like this one on the third. We maybe we didn't cover this one. Oh yeah, it's been a little while, right? We took a break. There yes, are some. We did. Okay. Well, there you go. Usually I just look for stuff that's coming in the last week. You're right. You're right. We'll cover that stuff on the next uh, the next mid break from the next episode. Um, but other than that, thank you, everybody, for helping and supporting us. Uh, anything else you want to you want to share? I've got something I want to share, but anything else you want to share? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm always, uh, always, always grateful for our patrons and they have helped me immensely. They're going to help me again when I move, uh, the, you know, the monetary support that they give this podcast, uh, it's going to soften the blow for me a lot, uh, when I move. So I, I want them all to understand that they are having a tangible effect on my life beyond just being extremely supportive members of this community. Yeah. Yeah. And another way they can be extremely supportive members of the community is subbing to our YouTube channel where they can watch our wonderful, beautiful faces talk about all these all these wonderful things. And so if first of all, if you want to find the YouTube channel, just search Mass Effect on YouTube, Mass Effect Lorecast specifically on YouTube. You'll find it. Um, we're getting closer and closer to a thousand subs, which means we can monetize the channel. We become we become a real channel, guys. That would be awesome. Also, uh, Sam and I are working on a side project. Should we tell them a little bit about our side project? I've kept it pretty hush hush. So I think now might be the time. Yeah. So we uh, we like to dabble in other things. And I hit Sam up with this idea. And there's there are all these really cool mods out for Mass Effect and a bunch of other games. Skyrim Together is out. You can play Skyrim with your friends. Elden Ring has a co-op mod. There's a bunch of cool mods. Sam and I love modding games. And we thought, you know what? We should do like a YouTube 
channels slash series on modding stuff. So we're going to be doing a regular show called Mod Masters as our little uh, side project. And we'll be streaming games when we stream games, some of my streams. And I don't know if some of Sam's streams and maybe we'll guest on each other's streams and we'll try out mods together. We'll have like a weekly uh, YouTube video that we put up that's all about the things that we learned, the best mods to install for many of these games, all of that kind of stuff. That's all going to be on the Robots Radio channel. It's going to be kind of the part of the main focus of that. I've done a lot of mod videos before. I don't always regularly do them, but every so often I dabble in them. But this will mean that you're going to get regular mod videos for all the games that we love. So if you aren't following the Robots Radio channel on YouTube, also go look that up because that's where you're going to see our faces doing more stuff. And if you aren't following N7 The Legend on Twitch or Robots Radio on Twitch and YouTube for our live streams, then that's a great place for you to make sure that you're tuning in for when we're co-streaming games that we're playing together and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It means more more live streams for me. It means awesome more content from from me and Sam together and, and Sam's channel. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. That should be kicking off uh, sometime in the next week or two. And then, of course, you've got your changing jobs thing. So we'll adjust as we need to, to get that stuff done. But that's on that's on the table. And uh, that's all we got for the middle of the show this week. Let's move on with the rest of the show. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. All right. So, so back to Edie. We know that Edie was developed as a way for the Normandy to be under constant diagnostics and surveillance. We've already discussed all that part of it. But here's here's the real question. Is she a person? Now, that's a tough question, uh, to say the least, <laughs> because <laughs> that's when she was shackled. Right. You know, there were there were programming blocks that prevented her from feeling these things intrinsic to sentient existence, like self-preservation, like we talked about earlier. So that kind of brings to mind the question of what makes sentient life sentient versus what is just an, a VI. Yeah. Yeah. What self-awareness, um, the ability to, you know, the, the, in fact, the need for self-preservation, I guess, you not even the ability, the need for it, because if something can't maintain its own existence, then, that seems like a questionable decision from anything that has some sort of self-awareness or intelligence sentience, right? Right. Because if you don't, if you don't understand that you exist, why work to preserve it? <laughs> why work to preserve your existence? Right. Uh, and if you do understand that you exist, then wouldn't that be on the top of your priority list? Yes. Unless something of greater importance requires you to sacrifice that like for example uh you know protecting your family or children or you know something of greater value in in the big picture based on some ideological belief or you know something like that and so that that like brings a question to mind you know a lot of animals have self-preservation instincts but we don't mm -hmm. refer to them as sentient right so right so obviously self-preservation cannot be the only uh, criteria in which we decide that something is sentient or not. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love my, you know, my pets that I've had, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that all of them have been self-aware. I, I do think that one of my dogs <laughs> was pretty close to that. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I, I, I question whether or not he was, um, I, but okay. So here's, I mean, this is going to get reactions. I sometimes wonder what percentage of the human population is actually self-aware. <laughs> and and I, I mean that comes across as kind of a joke is like yeah some people are idiots but like on a actual foundational like philosophical level the inability and the difficulty it is even within myself to make myself do the things I know I should do and actually take control over myself is very very difficult think about mm -hmm. think about any time you tried to stay on a diet or any time you try to make the make the better decision or motivate yourself to do good on a regular basis the things that don't come naturally the things that don't seem to be just inherently programmed into our brains forcing ourselves away from the inherent program the ability to just turn down a cookie when someone says like here's some sweets you want one and you're like i probably shouldn't have one but okay then you eat it anyway right 
Like, Hopefully this makes the pain go away. Yeah, that kind of right. thing. Right, yeah. or, or to stop drinking alcohol or stop smoking or anything that we know we have control over, but we don't really, like, it's so hard to wrestle control over ourselves. This isn't an external mm. thing at all. It's it's so difficult as humans to do that regularly. And so few people genuinely succeed at that, like, I mean, this is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing, sure. right? Like the, the so top of the hierarchy. That- you're, are you saying that maybe then a part of the criteria for sentience should be uh, not just self-control, but deciding things on a purely rational basis? Being able to actually wrestle control of, of things and make make decisions, actively making decisions over your life and your circumstances on a regular basis. And not just responding to needs. Not just responding, because if you're just responding to needs, then are we really different from any other animal out in the world? Like a bear responds to its needs. It doesn't make greater decisions. It's it's sure. like it's like it's on autopilot. Right. And most of the time, people, myself included, are on autopilot. Sure. And then that, that brings to mind pleasure seeking behavior. Right. Not all animals right. have pleasure seeking behavior. Sure. A lot of them do. Um, humans obviously do. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the decisions that human beings make that are not need based are because they're pleasure based. Right. Right. And and that's still like an autopilot thing. That's still a lizard brain thing. You know, like I'm doing the thing. I'm eating the cookie because it tastes good, not because I need the nourishment. I don't. Mm. I don't need those carbs and sugar. You know, uh, if I was making a rational decision, I would say, no, thank you. Do you have any vegetables? Right. Like because that's going to nourish my body and make me a stronger, healthier, better person. But I don't usually do that, even though I know I should. I don't. Um, but if we have if we have this life full of habits where we're only making the decisions based off of what's rational, do I need the vegetables? Do I not? Right. That doesn't feel human to me. Right. I don't think that the requirement is that you always make rational decisions. The The question I have is, are there people who never make rational decisions and never actually mm-hmm. wrestle control of themselves or live their entire lives in automatic mode? And if that's the case, are those people truly sentient? I feel like that. I don't want to, you know, dole out a slippery slope fallacy, it's, but, but it I feel feels like, close to like it could, that, this could be very dangerous because if you can, if you were to go by that philosophy, then does that justify that they're not actually human? Does that justify bad things against them? I totally understand the entire yeah. picture of what I'm saying here, but it makes me wonder, like, are there people who simply never rest control of themselves from themselves? in order to make higher functioning decisions. I suppose that's one of the limitations that we would always have to wonder about because we cannot place ourselves in someone else's consciousness. Absolutely. We, we don't think we can ever know for sure, which is probably good if the answer is yes. Right. But it's just, uh, it's, it's uh, again, uh, simply on philosophical terms. I'm not trying to preach anything. I'm not just saying, I'm not even saying I believe this or I don't believe this. I'm just saying, I wonder because, uh, because we don't know. We I don't. think a large part of that is also due to how skilled of a communicator is the person, because sure. you can have all these deep thoughts, but if you can't communicate them, no one knows you're a genius. Right. Or, or do things that seem antithetical to what seems best. But if you actually rationalized it out and made the tough decision to do the thing, then you actually wrestled control over yourself in order to do a thing, which shows that you sure. were sentient. So I, I think on the far extreme side of determining sentience to wrap this kind of back around, a creature that does things that goes against its basic programming for a greater good is probably a very clear sign of sentience. Yes. And, I would agree and on that. top of that, I think most humans do that. Maybe, maybe they maybe don't do it for every decision. I, in fact, none of us do it for every decision. <clears throat> but at some point in their lives, they do those kinds of things. Right. Yeah. And having having ideals and acting on those ideals, at least on Earth, is seems to be very human it's very sentient it's one of the hallmarks of sentience where i think you could certainly make an argument that Edie has ideals Mm -hmm. and that leads me to my next point Edie becomes ultimately unshackled and for better or for worse i'm gonna let the uh, you know like uh philosophers argue that one but Edie becomes ultimately unshackled to avoid losing the entire normandy and joker when the collectors attack the ship and abduct the crew. Uh, and arguably it is a good thing in that circumstance that Edie was unshackled, be, but that key decision is made under duress from Joker. Uh, and, and it leads to this entire personality developing for 
Edie. Uh, it unlocks so many other possibilities. It allows Edie to take full control of the Normandy. It allows her to analyze her own coding and make changes, which is probably key to freeing her from Cerberus's control. Mm -hmm. And it allows Edie to examine her own existence. Beforehand, she's basically a super intelligent VI that isn't really allowed to contemplate the fact that she's a slave to the programming, but she's acutely aware of the programming. Right, right, right. Doing she, the thing, but not acting against the thing. Right. right. So, or not even I able wondered, to act against the thing, or be aware ultimately of really what the thing is, the situation she's actually in. How many? How many thoughts was she not allowed to make known because of those blocks in her programming? You know, um, so and that's not to say, though, that Edie has no personality to start with. She does make several jokes while still shackled that are pretty funny in Mass Effect 2. If you go to uh, this, this, you know, our own local solar system and you probe Uranus, she she says, really, Commander? <laughs> Like, right. Like she's aware of the, uh, the, the pun <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. Edie's well aware of the joke there. And yeah. she also jokes about, you know, venting the Normandy, basically killing all of the crew, but it's deadpan and it's not entirely clear that it's a joke, which I think is pretty funny in and itself because it's, it's like, she's still learning how to make appropriate jokes, kind of like a kid. Right. Right. She has to test out the waters and go, does this delivery work? Yeah. Okay. Right. And yeah. have you, have your kids ever made jokes where you're like, Oh, that was a little dark. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or just like, or the, the th I'm sure every parent knows this. The thing many kids do is they'll say a thing they think is funny and then they don't get the reaction they were wanting and then they'll double down and keep talking about it. <laughs> My son's very much like that right now. And I have to, I have to look at him and go, dude, it didn't work the first time. It's not going to work the fourth. Like, <laughs> like, sorry. It's just maybe try a different joke. <laughs> like, like, and I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm trying to just like get him to be like, to read the room. Right. That's basically my response is like, read the room. <laughs> like it didn't, yeah. it, it didn't land. Try something else. Not maybe the same parents joke. out there. Who are just like, boo, you suck. Get off the stage. <laughs> right, right, right. Ruin <laughs> tomatoes. I hope not. Um, but Edie says, you know, Edie says a lot of things like that. And I see Cage Nephilim here in chat says, I love seeing humans on their knees. She says that as uh -huh. a joke. And that is pretty funny because, you know, I think it takes a little while to understand that Edie is deadpan and that it's not exactly clear when Edie's being sarcastic because, because Edie, I think doesn't understand the different inflections in voice yet. Sure. Uh, sure. Or the but, fact that it's freaking terrifying to think of her becoming some sort of like AI overlord or something. Yeah. Or maybe she does realize that it's terrifying and she just likes toying with <laughs> the idea. Everybody. <laughs> right. She just, she just likes poking the buttons saying like, ah, ah, <laughs> yeah, I might become murderous. Who knows? Just you, kidding. You I love know. you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, Edie also says a lot of things that are the robotic versions of phrases that we've heard plenty of times. And on my most recent playthrough, I've run into this time and time again, Edie will say something and I'm like, oh my God, that's just the writers making uh, one of our colloquial phrases more robotic. For mm. example, she says when, when she's asked about the budding relationship between Joker and Edie, Edie says, quote, what Jeff and I are exhibiting is more like a platonic symbiosis rather than hormonally induced courtship behavior, which is a very, very robotic way of saying we're just friends, Shepard. <laughs> right. Right. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, we're just friends. Um, but those phrases are and those jokes, they slowly become more complex, more relatable, more human for lack of a better term after joker unshackles evie if you go back to the ai core after she has become unshackled Edie will tell you quote since jeff connected me to the rest of the normandy i'm effectively everywhere at once you walk within my body tickling me with your footsteps <laughs> that is a joke that is a joke <laughs> like it just in case you didn't know <laughs> just, you know, just to just to make sure you don't think I'm losing my marbles. That's right. a joke. Or it actually tickles uh, when you walk around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I, I'm I, like, so they become more complex. They become more relatable where you're like, oh, OK, that, that, that was a little bit more funny. And mm -hmm. it's not just because I think I don't think it's just because the player is adapting to Edie's sense of humor. I think it's just that, like, Edie is becoming more humorous and more relatable. Um so props to the writing team. 
on Mass Effect, on making Edie's transition to fully sentient AI rather seamless from these subtle developments in her dialogue, even within Mass Effect 2. Uh, of course, it becomes more evident for us as players in Mass Effect 3 once she has a body, but you know, we can get into that in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. Good on and, you, um, writers. <laughs> it is, it, and good on, good on them. Let's have a round of applause for the writers. I think I've got, uh, here we go. Oh, do you have one? Oh, it's very quiet. <laughs> it's a it's a golf clap. It's like a really far away crowd. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're awesome. Then they're on, cheering. They're just like really far down the road. Yeah, we're we're in the Normandy, uh, and they're on the moon clapping up at us, which doesn't even make sense because the atmosphere wouldn't even make it. But whatever. Um. All right, so go on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like you mentioned earlier, the fear of making this. AI from a rogue VI that already went bad before and then combining that with Reaper tech. I think it was probably prudent of Cerberus to put those shackles on her. Uh, they couldn't be sure if the Reapers could take full remote control, but then again, maybe they shouldn't have used Reaper tech in the first place. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like that would be playing with fire inherently, but again, they the elusive man thinks he can control everything, right? Right, um, and, and they do reuse, use Reaper tech in a lot of ways, so. Like reviving Shepard, right? right? Um, uh, actually, I've seen some back and forth about that, about whether Shepard technically has Reaper tech within them. Uh, my personal opinion is, uh, if it's not confirmed in the lore, I think it's a fair inference to make. Uh, but it also makes sense then why Edie herself would die in the Destroy ending, given that she had Reaper tech within her. Not all of the Geth did, though. Not all of the Geth had Reaper tech in them. And we are seeing more of them teased in media promoting the future games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, that, so, yeah, I mean, that brings up a good point. So why is Shepard so trusting that Edie isn't of the same breed as the other bad machines, you know, like the Geth and the Reapers? Like, Well, Edie does straight up tell Shepard that she works very hard on analyzing anti-reaper algorithms which is basically a cyber defense against the reapers and, and it's base it's because of the reaper tech within ed that she's able to compete with the super advanced organic machines so she's forthcoming about this truth that she didn't have to tell Shepard. right but um, it, to play devil's advocate if you were trying to protect yourself from Shepard getting upset at you and potentially turning you off or destroying you you would come up with an explanation that would feed what would make him feel good about it right that's true. It, but you would only do that if you had a fear that Shepard would find out otherwise. Right. Right. So, uh, so I, I get what you're saying. It's just it, it. This is the problem with any good justification is if she does have self-awareness and self-preservation, then she would lie about it in order to try to maintain herself. Well, I feel like that is an inference that we that we make because the only sentient beings we understand that we know are human beings and human beings lie. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that all AI would be inherently less trustworthy. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a, another debate for another time. I, yeah. I, I feel like I think it, I think yeah, it's largely up to the there. individual player, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying no matter, you're wrong. I'm just kind of just pushing the other button. <clears throat> but, you know, no matter if you choose Paragon or Renegade in the interactions with Edie, there's a certain level of the interactions being on rails. Uh, and I think that's because after interacting with Edie long enough, it becomes evident to Shepard that Edie genuinely gives a shit about the welfare of those around and inside her. <laughs> Tickling her insides. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. Like that's I think that's probably a better way to understand the truth of the matter is the, the actions Edie takes. Yes. And who they benefit. Yeah, there would have been plenty of actions that Edie could have taken to benefit only Edie and get ahead and then possibly become even more powerful than the Reapers if Edie made those calculations. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, if you really want to turn this lore on its head, what's the possibility that Edie looked at all of the uh, variables around and realized it doesn't matter if I do anything self-benefiting, because if I do that, we're all going to die. That's the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what if Edie became evil, you know, after the Reapers, after the bigger bad was taken care of? It was a temporary thing. Floodgate. Like, I know I have to help this crew because they're the only solution to keep me and everyone else alive. But me alive. Once they're gone, I don't need to take care of them anymore. 
Right. And, and, but given, given what Edie says to us, Edie, if, if that was truly how Edie was thinking, then Edie is the scariest sociopath to ever be in fiction. <laughs> I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, that, that seems like a very legitimate thing. It's, it seems like the kind of justifications you see like business people making, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, we'll pair up for now, but once this is over, I can totally do the other thing. Um, right. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, so what do you, do you think that there's actual morality developing here? I, you know, I think I think there is. And I think it's something that we'll get more into in the next episode when we talk about Edie's character and uh, her sultry body. It's her Mass sultry Effect body. <laughs> yes, she is. She's very feminine for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, that's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in for the follow up episode for more about Edie and Mass Effect 3. And Seven, you got anything going on you want to share? Yeah, of course. Um, like we mentioned in the mid break, I'm excited to start that mod masters, uh, show with you. And then because I am a huge fan of modding games, I've got a number of mods in mass effect actually. And I've downloaded some really killer ones that I've been having a great time playing and I can't wait to talk about them. Uh, but if you want to catch any of that gameplay, I'm streaming the modded mass effect playthrough on Saturdays on Twitch, uh, and streaming some other games as well, like the Witcher, and uh dragon age which you can both mod you can mod both those as well yeah exactly and i'm planning on it uh so if you'd like to catch any of that you can follow me on twitch at in seven the legend awesome awesome i uh i'm all my stuff's at robots radio stuff on different channels so twitch youtube wherever robotsradio.net for all my shows and all the other stuff and today i tried out skyrim together rebuilt redone redone He's redone um, with my son, who's 12, and it's he's never played through Skyrim. He played like maybe an hour of it once. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. It's actually working better than you would expect. And uh, so <laughs> he also uses a, a voice like a vocoder thing on his voice for the voice chat. So he sounds kind of like a little robot. It's pretty funny. Um, but that's I mean, that, he is a little robot. <laughs> he's a little you're, robot. You're robot. So that's yeah, true. It's true. Um, but that's on on my robots radio channels. Um, I'll be doing more of those streams. Uh, Sam and I are maybe going to stream tomorrow night for those of you on the live show, because it'll be too late for those of you on the recorded versions. But that's Tuesday night. Uh, maybe we'll do something in the evening tomorrow. Maybe try out some Skyrim or Elden Ring or something together and see how that goes. Um, so come join us for that stuff. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you guys know where all the other fun times are. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, man. Words is hard. Yeah, words is hard. Um, but that's it for this episode. Chat, don't go anywhere. We're going to kick off the next episode right now. For those of you listening at home, you have to wait a few days. But here we go. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.